0: Hi, this is Andy, and thank you for joining me for the Next Stage Radicals podcast, where each month I'm joined by a Next Stage Radical, someone who is hands-on in the work of discovering new and better ways of working, challenging the conventions of Management 1.0 in order to move the world of work to the next stage. In each episode, I invite my guests to share their warts and all stories about what works and what doesn't, and what it's taking for them to make work, work better. This month's Radical is Kim Wright. Kim is a legal systems entrepreneur, transforming the systems, ideas, approaches, and habits that have underpinned the legal system since, well, forever. Although based in the US, Kim's work connects cutting edge lawyers, like-minded professionals, and communities all over the planet. She writes extensively, teaches law, coaches and advises clients, hosts and mobilizes action within the integrative law movement, and plays a key role as co-founder of the Conscious Contracts process. She's also been known to have a day off. Kim, welcome to Next Day's Radicals podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, how are you today?
1: I'm fine, Andy. Uh, I did have a day off on Saturday. It is a rare occasion. <laughs> <laughs> shocking, shocking. Shocking. Who would have got a Saturday off? Eh? <laughs> oh,
0: it's great to be here. Thanks. Well, as I say, really delighted. And you're kind of dialing in from, you know, a good distance away. Where are you today, Kim?
1: I've been the U.S. and Florida there you go, at so my mum's house, uh, uh, weathering the but the pandemic, I guess.
0: Yeah, gosh, it's tough times, isn't it? But you you have the distinction of being my first international guest in the podcast. So. Oh, so what an honor.
1: Doing. Thank you.
0: Brill, brill. So, Kim, if you're ready, we're going to get started. Um, So uh, are you ready for your first question? I am. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to let listeners in on a little secret here. This first question is purpose built for Kim because the first time I met Kim, she um, read out to me uh, a vision statement that she created and it absolutely blew my socks off. So I'm hoping she might do that for us today. Question one, Kim, what's your radical idea or vision?
1: but the short description of that is the transformation of the legal profession. And I've been at that for a time, and I do have this vision that I'll read. Uh, And This is my 2045 vision. The seeds of the late 1990s and early 2000s have flourished. We are grateful to our pioneers and trailblazers who held this vision and brought it to fruition. Lawyers are now recognized for the true purpose peacemaking, problem solving, and healing the wounds of the community. Trials are rare and civil. Collaboration, prevention, and transformation are the lawyer's stock and trade. We create sustainable agreements and resolutions. Lawmakers serve, conscious of all stakeholders and of our interconnectedness with nature and each other. They work on common goals and values to benefit everyone. Law enforcement, focuses on right relationships, working in partnership with the community to foster strong, empowered, and safe communities. Judges are wise leaders who help to balance competing values, hold everyone accountable, and deliver fair results with love, compassion, and empathy. Prisons are a part of our past. Now we focus on rehabilitation, healing, and reconnection for all members of society. Criminal behavior is seen as a symptom of brokenness that needs to be healed. Law students still learn the focused analytical thinking that is known as thinking like a lawyer. Now they're also trained in holistic thinking. Art is part of the balanced core curriculum. Our history of restorative practices and nonviolent communication in schools has helped to produce citizens who tell their truths, take responsibility and accept accountability. The legal system works for everyone. There are no more lawyer jokes. They're just not funny anymore.
0: Kim, thanks so much for that. I, I could listen to that all day. Every time I hear it, it gets better and better and better. And it was pretty <laughs> bloody amazing the first time I heard it. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really love that. And I, I always um, I, I, I always find it both inspiring uh, but also slightly torturous because I always want to be able to come up with something as good for the things that I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, so, so there's a radical idea or vision, right? And, uh, I, I mean, I think, uh, it almost feels like you don't need to say any more, but, but tell us a bit about why does that matter to you? What brought you here? Um, what got you to that
1: place? Well, it's been a long journey. I think that, uh, real beginning of this journey happened when my son was born and my first child. And uh, I was only 19 years old and I held this little child in my arms and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for the world that he's growing up in. And I felt this oneness with um, all the mothers, all the parents everywhere. And that it was up to us to create a better world. And so a lot of my efforts since then have been in that direction. When uh, when my youngest daughter was a teenager, we actually lived in a town where it was a magnet town for kids who had run away or had been thrown away. And there were a lot of teenagers living on the streets. And um, I always call my daughter the cosmic social worker. She would, um, she would go out and kind of screen like, you know, she's like she, we talked about whether she ought to study social work and she said, I'm already a social worker. <laughs> and so she would screen these kids and she would bring them home and they would stay with us. And sometimes uh, they would you know, come for a meal and sometimes they would come and stay. And so by the time she left home uh, between that first child and um, a marriage with five stepchildren and uh, and the kids we took in, I had raised 16 children wow uh and and living in a house with a lot of teenagers uh is an opportunity for a lot of growth and learning and so i had to learn how to how to live in community in a different way like you know like it was not good to be an authoritarian with a lot of teenagers i would just have been I would just been miserable all the time. And we would have just been kicking people out. And that really wasn't my thing. I really wanted to have them be safe and loved and fed and, you know, all of those things. And so, um, so they, were, they were not honor students as a general rule. They were not, I mean, they were all really smart, but they weren't the obedient children who fit into the mold. And so some of them got in trouble and I discovered restorative justice, uh, actually, from my children because uh, when they got in trouble, that was one of the options. And I was a member of of the community that was uh, that was there to support them and resolving and actually, you know, making amends for some actions they'd taken. And uh, and so, at the time, I had seven children, which was in the middle of that. I went to law school, thinking that. I just had so much going on. I needed to, I needed to have a law degree. (laughs) I I had a husband who liked to do civil disobedience and I had uh, a very complicated family life. We had um, at 1.7 children that had nine parents among them. And, uh, and so there was just always something. And so I thought I'll go to law school and then I'll be able to do law for my family. And uh, when I was in law school, I actually discovered that they were pretty much jerks. And uh, I, like I, didn't, I didn't know anything about legal education or that it was hard. Like, you know, I was just you know like I always was good in school. So I just thought, you know, I'll just go do this other degree. And um, I also didn't know how much competition there was. So at one point, uh, a fellow in my uh, law school came up to me and said, uh, we think you're doing too much. I was like huh like i you know like i didn't know who he was i kind of recognized him as being somebody in my section but uh he says yeah you're doing too much and um i you know i had seven kids at home i was working full-time i was volunteering in the court system Uh, i started two organizations um the americans um american civil liberties union law school chapter and a group for parents at law school and that's just kind of like what I did. I I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about him at all. But he was thinking about me. And he said that uh, he had turned me over to the Internal Revenue Service, the tax authorities for uh, possible tax fraud, because he knew that the company that I ran was uh, a taxi company, and that there was a lot of cash exchanged. And he thought that maybe that would keep me from doing so much. Wow. And uh, I just thought, I it, it actually was 20 years before I realized he was in competition with me. Uh, but at the time, I just thought, what a, what a mean person, what a jerk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I decided not to be a lawyer because I didn't, didn't want to be a jerk. And, uh, and I, you know, all the things I learned in law school were, you know, very adversarial and they just kind of didn't fit my value system. So when I got out of law school, by that time I was divorced um, and um, had probably five kids at home, um, I uh, got a job running a domestic violence program. And I did that for a while and I worked in other nonprofit areas. And then I was in a seminar. I did a lot of personal growth work and transformational work. And I was in a seminar in Atlanta, Georgia. I had traveled there. Um, for sort of a regional thing. And there was a guy from Chicago who stood up and he was tall and very distinguished and kind of one of those people who got your attention in any room. And uh, he really got my attention when he stood up and he said, I am a lawyer and I uh, practice law in a different way. He said, I'm a divorce lawyer. I think it's my job to make sure that the husband and wife at the end of the divorce are still friends so they can raise their children together. He said, I grant dignity to everyone in the process. And he just, he went on mm-hmm. and I was just transfixed. It was like that, like that is possible. And it, not, and, um, and it gave me a whole new vision for law. Yeah. And so I uh, had passed two bar exams Uh, just because I wanted to say that I didn't practice law because I chose not to not because I had uh, been told I couldn't. But I was living in a different state. So I had to take the bar exam in that state. So it was in November that I was in the seminar. And in February, I took the bar exam. And in March, I was sworn in to be a lawyer. And uh, I, I still had a house full of kids and a life and there was no way that a big law firm was going to hire me, so I just opened my own practice. And uh, and the uh, the thing that happened is almost on the first day, I had a client the first day, and another client the second day, and I, and uh, you know just people I knew were were sending me people, and so that was like, well, this is looking really good. And on maybe the third day, I discovered that lawyers really were jerks. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were doing things like like before I even uh, sort of got my feet on the ground, they were going to the judge for uh, hearings without me and claiming it's an emergency and all sorts of things that, you know, uh, you know, became what I knew about law uh, that, um, you know, that it was kind of cutthroat. But I I had the new vision, the guy whose name was Forrest Baird. Um, and Forrest had given me a new vision of what was possible for lawyers. And I decided I was going to manifest that. And so that was in 1995. And I started creating my law practice to be based on my values and to be holistic and like really wanting to take care of people and to help them find solutions rather than just fighting for the sake of fighting. And so, I, I created actually a successful law practice over the course of several years. Uh, I, I was in a small town, but I was one of the, you know, one of the top names that would come up when people were looking for lawyers and, uh, and uh, kind of experimented with what I was learning. Uh, there were a lot of things going on. Uh, there was a movement uh, called collaborative law, which was what Forrest had been talking about, that there's a whole model that um, uh, Stuart Webb created in Minnesota, where the lawyers actually sign a contract with the client saying, we're not going to court. We're going to resolve your difference. And we're going to do this as, um, as a reconstruction of your family, not as a battle. So I started doing that and I learned about mediation and I learned more about restorative justice and I just started experimenting. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few years in, I was remarried by this time, I have a very colorful relationship history. And I. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be honest the whole whole life is colorful I mean I'm I'm going away I, I have to just interject for a split second because I'm still getting over the fact you said you'd seven kids and the thing you thought to do was go and do a law degree <laughs> I, I had two kids and the thing I thought to do was get up here and go to bed <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: I like to stay busy. I like to stay busy. (laughs) So, uh, so my uh, my husband got a job offer in 1999. You know, we there was all of this stuff about Y2K and you know computers were going to crash. Well, he had an expertise that Intel needed all the way across the country in Portland, Oregon. You know, three thousand miles away, Uh, and uh, and so they recruited him to come. And uh, he moved out there, we thought, temporarily. Um, and uh, and my, uh, my daughter, uh, who was the youngest and the only one who was my official child living with us at the time, uh, went with me and she said, I'd really like to move here. And uh, I thought, well, you know, you're 16 years old, you're in high school. And uh, she was always so wise. She said, you know, my friends are getting into some things that I don't want to, be part of and I think a fresh start would be better for me mm. and uh so she did she uh, you know she convinced me to to move and so I closed my law practice and my agreement with my husband was this, if the world didn't end on um uh, you know December 31st uh was that I would have some time to kind of figure out what I was going to do next mm. uh, and um and so I didn't have to go rushing off and find a job or something. And so I, uh, I, uh, I decided to make a website. So in 1999, uh, there wasn't much on the web. <laughs> you know, like the web was pretty new. Uh, we, you could put up a website and uh, people would somehow find it. You couldn't collect any data. You could count how many people came. Um, and I called the website Renaissance Lawyer. It was about 400 pages, and it was all the stuff I'd been learning about you know, like uh, things like uh, different ways of practicing law, but also appreciative inquiry and um, you know spiral dynamics and all sorts of things that I thought were, would be useful to lawyers. And I got 100,000 visitors. And so I thought, you know, I thought, People are out there. They, they want this. They need this. And then the emails started coming. And people would say, um, you know, they found the website and they thought they were alone. And they would tell me these amazing stories about who who they were and what they were up to. Around that time, I went to my first holistic law conference in 19, 1999. And um, I think it was in autumn of 1999. I went to uh, the International Alliance of Holistic Law Conference. And I thought I was really cool. Like, you know, like I was like the most cutting edge lawyer I ever had heard of in my little town. And I went there and uh, my mind was blown. I couldn't believe some of what people were doing. First of all, There was a couple from Hawaii who were doing yoga with their law clients. Uh, Like she's a yoga teacher and a therapist and he's a lawyer and they would have their clients come in and they would use yoga and healing methods uh, for for resolving conflict. And that was one of those things that was like, you know, in my town, yoga didn't exist. You know, like remember this was, Yeah, more than 20 years ago, it wasn't it wasn't even a thing. And here they were using it. And so there were there were about 100 people there. And all of them were doing these amazing things. Uh, I met um, the founders of therapeutic jurisprudence. I met um, someone who's um, still a friend and mentor, Susan Dykoff, who uh, at that time was a law professor. And she'd been studying uh, what was a crisis in the legal profession. And the crisis was that lawyers uh, didn't like each other didn't like themselves and the public didn't like them and they uh, had high levels and in fact still have very high levels of depression and suicide and addiction and uh, and she uh susan is both a lawyer uh law professor and a um and a psychologist and she was trying to figure out what is it that why are lawyers so miserable and then she discovered restorative justice and collaborative law and therapeutic jurisprudence and, and a few other things and realized that the lawyers who were doing those things were happier and their clients were happier and it was better for society. So that really set me on um, at another level on my mission mm. because I saw it as a way of helping lawyers and society to, uh, to make these other ways of practicing um, known to them. Yeah. So, uh, so that was part of what I was doing with the website. And I st- and I started talking to people and I started being a connector. I think Malcolm Gladwell's book on the tipping point had come out and I knew what a, a connector was. Nice. And um, it, it occurs now that I probably am all of those, but connector was the one that I took on then. And uh, so people would write to me and they would say, this is what I'm doing in employment law. And I would say, wow, this other person, like you're in Memphis, but this person's in San Diego and she's also interested in in employment law. Maybe I should connect the two of you. Then I um, actually rented a bridge line. Now this is another one of those things that renting a bridge line at that point meant I spent $900 to have an hour a week of a bridge line, <laughs> <laughs> which now you know they're free everywhere. <laughs> but then it was there was a new thing, and so I got a bridge line. And on Thursdays at four o'clock Eastern time, I just gathered people. I got, you know they would write to me, and I would say, well, we're having this gathering on Thursday, and they would come. And occasionally we'd have a speaker. But it started really dawning on me that there was a movement happening, mm-hmm. and that it was under the radar. And there all these really interesting things I kept adding to my website um, that, you know, like they just, they weren't being paid attention to, but it felt like popcorn. It was like all around. At that point, I was looking at the US, although I now know it was, it is a worldwide movement. It was like the heat was coming up and the corn was popping and Mm -hmm. sometimes it would pop in Graham, North Carolina, and sometimes it would pop in Los Angeles. But there was no, no pattern other than people kind of waking up. Mm -hmm. And so when those people would wake up, they would think I'm just the weirdest lawyer in town. There's some, you know, like, and some of them would leave law, which I considered to be a real tragedy. And others gained strength from being in community. So I started creating this community, I started an organization. I started doing some coaching uh, and uh, I never did get a job. Well, I did once for uh, just a few months, I worked in a law firm, uh, a law firm called Peacemaking. And uh, that's where I met uh, one of my coworkers who was um, well-known in restorative justice. And so I actually ran a restorative justice agency for a little while. And uh, I practiced all of the things that I talked about and uh, Then I um, I was divorced again and I was looking at my life and what what was I going to do next? And I decided to return to North Carolina where I'd been before, but to go to a different town and to open up a new practice. And that practice was called Healers of Conflict. And that's where I really started experimenting. Yeah, you've only
0: been uh, playing at it until then. I don't, you know? I, <laughs> I was going to say, when, when's this going to get serious?
1: <laughs> so yeah, uh, so uh, healers of conflict. Actually, the uh, uh, the outgoing message, if you got our uh, answering machine, said, if you're looking to litigate, you have the wrong number. <laughs> Love it. If you're looking to actually resolve problems and um, you know, um, you know, create a new life and you know, and transform conflict, this is the right number. And again, I had, I had, you know, quite a few people, but then there's, I started, I started having this, um, conflict between the movement and law practice, like law practice was how I was making my living. Mm. And, uh, and, and, you know, it, it worked well, but in 2007, I did 15 different conferences in four months. Um, uh, you know, like I, I flew from one place to another, and you know, once was gone for 15 consecutive days. Arrived home, did my laundry, and left again. <laughs> and um, and I, um, I I decided that maybe I would just travel for a while. So I got rid of my house and I closed my office, and I thought I'll go travel for about three months. About that time, the Internet went from dial up to faster Internet and video was allowed. And uh, at one of the conferences in 2007, there was a judge who was speaking. He was from like the deep U.S. South, and he was not the kind of person that you would expect to be a really enlightened person. And he was saying the most marvelous things. And I was thinking, somebody really ought to be recording this. This ought to be more available. So um, somebody took me down to the local store. I bought a video camera and I was that person. I started recording. I was the worst videographer (laughs) in the world. There's many things I'm good at. That was not one of them. (laughs) But uh, when I started moving towards the video and having a website with video, I came across uh, someone who actually had been a videographer, had worked on several documentary films, was in a transition place in his own life that he just uh, uh, wanted another adventure. And so in uh, 2008, I gave up my house, I gave up my office supposedly for three months to go on the road and videotape uh, some of the leaders of the movement. And if you, uh, at at the end, will have some information i have a a cutting edge law youtube channel where those videos are still stored it's about um, 300 clips because at that point you could only do 10 minutes at a time
0: awesome Um, we'll we'll make sure to paste them into the links for for the podcast that's amazing
1: so i did that for a couple of years and during that time the american bar association found me and uh it, it was it was such a great um experience because And I don't know, like in February, somebody said, you really ought to talk to the ABA about what you're doing. I think they'll be really interested. And I said, the ABA isn't ready for this yet. And in March, I got a call from the ABA. Mm -hmm. And they said, would you like to write a book? And uh, they said that we've been looking at your YouTube channel and all of the things that you're reporting about and all these great stories. And we think that's the direction law is going. And would you write a book? And so, so I said yes. I mean, when the ABA yes you to write a book and you're trying to transform law, that's a pretty cool thing. And, uh, and so by the time it actually came out, it was about a year later. And uh, the book was called Lawyers as Peacemakers, Practicing Holistic Problem Solving Law and it captured all the things I'd written about in my website and all the people I'd met up to that point and you know really had a U.S. focus and uh, before the book was actually released they uh, put it out for pre-sale and you know I mean I knew a few people but I didn't know you know like I was pretty unknown at that point Uh, um, but the book went immediately to bestseller status and that's you know that that confirmed to me there there was this hunger and this interest among lawyers for this and um, and it gave us a new platform because before that i was just really weird like i was this homeless lawyer i mean people would ask me do you have a place to sleep tonight <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. i was like yeah yeah I'm, I'm fine you know i i you know like i'm in the hotel i'm in the marriott or you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever you know. but uh I, um, I, you know, it was just weird. And, and now you're weird really and uh, famous. And now I'm weird and <laughs> famous. And I, and I, and the legitimacy that the ABA bestseller gave me mm. actually started opening some doors. And so mm. it wasn't long after that, that I was invited to go to Australia. Uh, uh, my experience is that Australians love anything new and shiny. And, uh, and so I went and spent a month in Australia and, um, uh, then, uh, Shortly thereafter, I went to South Africa and then the next trip was uh, actually, I think, to um and, uh, and then, um and and then and uh, then, you know, lots of time in Europe. And then, uh, you know, like I started sort of adding a new place every year. Mm-hmm. And so India happened in 2015, but I always go back. I think I, I, I go to all my places and then I add one. So India was in 2015, and then uh, Brazil was in 2019, and uh, and so and you know I, in between I had some more European countries, mm-hmm. uh, and so as I've gone I've been the, still been the connector, and I've been conne- connecting these people from all over the world, and I courage really does come from being in community. So some of the folks. Uh, like, the first program I did in South Africa, there were, um, I think, 40 people uh, who had never heard of we, we now call it integrative law. We actually had a conference and named it mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, it, there, you know, it was an introduction to integrative law. Forty people came and those 40 people, I, I could pinpoint at least 20 of them and maybe maybe all 40 and the projects that have come from that event of you know the things that uh that they've invented um uh, uh, rob DeRoy is one of the people he actually invented comic contracts um and has won awards for contracts that are uh, uh that are actually pictures like you know like wow. cartoons That's amazing and uh, and you know th- that that came from um from being part of that community and being encouraged to go forward and then being connected to the right people um and his brilliance and and his commitment to dignity being actually uh uh nurtured instead of you know just don't well no you just there's one way to be a lawyer and you should do that it was you know and so so that's um Uh, you know, that brings me to, you know, uh, the next book, Lawyers as Changemakers, the ABA said, looks like you're traveling around the world now. And uh, in 2016, Lawyers as Changemakers, the global integrative law movement came out. And, uh, and then I, you know, like, as as you said, I kind of, I kind of write a lot. Um, It's one of the things that, um, that I do to be seen, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I, one of the uh, one of my roles is to showcase this movement, and to have people find me when they're looking on the internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if somebody uh, says, you know, like, I'm just a miserable lawyer, and I'm looking for something better, and they go and Google, um, I consider it a failure if they don't find our movement. And so being really visible uh, is easier when you're writing. And uh, so I write for with, uh, websites, I do podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I liaison with people who are not lawyers who need lawyers. Um, and um, you know along the way, um, I uh, helped to develop the conscious contracts movement. and, um, and then uh, in 2019, I you know, came back from Brazil and, started planning my 2020 travel schedule. And, uh, you know, all this time, I haven't had a permanent residence since 2008. Mm -hmm. And, and in January, I started watching what was going on in Asia and thinking, oh, I don't know if this is going to be a year I can travel. Mm. And by February, I started canceling trips and uh, and then by march i canceled the entire year and uh my mother was was moving she sold the family farm moved into a new house she's she was 80 then she's 81 now she could use some help and so uh, i uh i started helping her and and i you know i did what i do i went online and i've been teaching courses and teaching at law schools and uh and I'm here now. <laughs> that's, that's that's quite a journey. <laughs> it really is,
0: and uh, I mean, I I guess you've made my job as podcast host extraordinarily easy because I've just sat and listened to, you know, what what feels like it needs to be turned into a biopic. Quite frankly, <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> awesome. Um, what a privilege to have even just heard that story, and um, thank you for sharing it. I mean, that that really is amazing um I've got a whole list of questions I normally ask but there's sort of not an awful lot of point to them because um you know things like I might normally ask why would this radical vision leave the world better off well I think it's bleeding obvious isn't it um I mean the thing that really yeah the, the thing that just kept going through my head as I listened to different parts of the story was how easy it is to map on to your story and the way you've described law and the shift to other industries and professions. I mean, I, I started out myself thinking I wanted to be a journalist in the same way that you said, you know, lawyers are jerks. Apologies to the journalists out there, but that was my experience of that industry too. Um, and I, I stepped away from it. I maybe didn't have the the courage and insight you, you've shown in doing what you did, but but it seems to me, uh, you know, there's lessons there for everyone, not just lawyers. Uh, so, yeah. And I, I, I hope imagine so. you see that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, that there were lots of reasons that I couldn't do what I did. You know, there, there were times in the beginning
0: mm.
1: where people would tell me I was I was mad. You know, the, this, you know, this was never going to work you know, you can imagine my parents who thought I had finally gotten, you know, uh, into a profession where I was going to, you know, have a nice retirement. and <laughs> All of that, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm giving up my house, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and uh, I would go to a conference and I would start talking about lawyers as healers and people would move to the other side of the room uh, and shun me. Yeah, yeah. And um, and yet it was so clear to me that I you know, and that being on purpose, yeah. and um, and just knowing this is this is what I'm here to do, has um, has really has really kept me going.
0: Yeah, that that really resonates for me too. Because i i was I was going to ask you, you know does it, Does it ever feel uh, too hard or or impossible or whatever but my sense listening to you is what you've just said that you know it's kind of uh, it's just necessary that you know there's nothing going to get in the way of the necessity is that right is that how you feel
1: about it, it, it yeah there were times um, that i that i thought you know am i crazy <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know is is this all just you know some grandiose fantasy uh, you know, people would say it to me often enough <laughs> yeah. that I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I had to do a little reflection on it, but, but I, I never knew what else there was for me to do. Mm. Like I, like it never felt like a choice to go work in some high rise law firm mm. that, you know, that wasn't uh, like, that wasn't going to be a match for me and it was going to be a match for them. And, uh, and so it's like, well, what else would I do? You know, I, you know, I could go and get a job in a bookstore, you know, <laughs> you know but that's not, that's not going to, uh, sort of fulfill me.
0: Yeah,
1: And so, um, so yeah, it got hard and, uh, and I got through it. And, uh, you know, there were like times that I felt like a puddle on the floor when things didn't go my way, but I have, I have several times in my life where sort of everything seemed to fall apart mm. that I can look back on. I, I actually wrote a piece on my LinkedIn if someone goes there uh, that about uh, a date in September of uh, 1994 and I thought I was going to get a job. And I uh, had a house picked out and my daughter was in a school that we liked. And I was in a relationship that I thought was going to continue. And I woke up one morning with you know, a whole life that was unfolding and that day uh my grandmother died my relationship ended my uh, job uh the uh the law firm dissolved overnight um and i got a call from them and the uh and the house went to someone else and, and my daughter said i hate my teacher i'm never going back to that school it was just like like all of the dominoes yeah. fell in one day by one thirty in the afternoon i was I had, I had nothing on my schedule. <laughs> and, and I thought it was, a it, you know, at the time, I thought this is a terrible day. Mm. And three months later, I had the most one, not even three months, six weeks later, I had, I had the most wonderful opportunities come to me, mm. that would not have come to me if I hadn't sort of cleared that canvas. Mm. And, uh, and it really opened the door for the life i have now which is fabulous mm.
0: yeah and it's mean, it's inspiring to hear that because I, I you know um i i don't feel i can legitimately draw parallels you know i think you know what you've done is extraordinary but um but it you know in my own little way the uh you know, the the trials and tribulations that I go through at times, you sort of go, you know, is this really worth it? Maybe I should just go and get a real job. Um, (laughs) But I, I keep on thinking that and then within a matter of minutes, hours or days of that, I think there's no other option. I mean, who who the hell would employ me anyway? (laughs) (laughs) But but that's a good thing. Um, I
1: I have been a good employee for short times in my life. But, uh, you know, I was uh, I was in a convenience store in a Seven Eleven for a while, mm. but what happened was that I started like rearranging <laughs> things and creating systems and making it a better place to work. Yeah, and uh, I that was not my job. Yeah. And uh, you know, sometimes I would have a boss that would say, "Well, that this is good. You're improving things," but I was still making just you know measly hourly wages and. Uh, and not, not sort of moving myself or uh, or anything forward. Mm, and mm-hmm. so, so yeah, I am just not somebody who can stay in a monotonous. I mean, like for me, it'd be a, like a grave, you know, yeah. to go yeah. into a job. And so, uh, so then you know, so what else am I going to do? And uh, so I just would take the next step, and I you know would. Uh, would look at, you know, like what was going on. And, you know, I can remember yeah. many walks in nature where I just had to, had to get up and leave. And, uh, and, you know, get away from my computer and, you know, I, yeah. and miraculous things would happen. I, you know, sometimes that, you know, it was about money, and I would come back and somebody would have paid me while I was gone. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or a check would come in the mail that was that was uh, not expected. It was a bonus from a place I'd worked a year before Yeah. Uh, yeah. that uh, they paid everybody a bonus for that particular project or, you yeah. know, s- strange things would happen that would, um, you know, be like the, uh, the answers to my prayers yeah, yeah. that I hadn't even quite articulated the prayer. <laughs> it's extraordinary,
0: isn't it? I I mean, I, um I definitely don't think of myself as a spiritual person or anything, but um, but again, it resonates because I think a um, number of times that you feel like your back's against the wall and then somehow the universe provides and, and away you go again. It's, it's extraordinary, way- Matt. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. Was it, I think it was Bucky Fuller who said something about, that um, help comes at the very last minute. Yeah, <laughs> <Damn> it. <laughs> it's always the very last minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
0: yeah. amazing. It's amazing, Kim. It, it I'm I'm really um, I, I'm really blown away by the story you have shared. I have to say, I, I sort of um, I, I guess what it's reinforced for me is that you know uh, it, it's takes extraordinary people to make extraordinary things happen and I think you're definitely both an extraordinary person and making extraordinary things happen it's it's absolutely awesome it's really I want
1: to I want to push back on that a little bit because I I mean you know I don't want to take anything away from myself but also say that I'm an ordinary person doing extraordinary things and that being willing to to step out and take a stand for something mm, mm. and uh, and to be unstoppable is something that's available to others. And, yeah. um, and, and we, uh, we often put ourselves in, in a box and say we can't because we're believing other people. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, like, like I have an extraordinary life now, but I, I mean, I, I was somebody that at 19 years old was working in a convenience store. And uh, decided to go back to school, and uh, and so uh, you know, I mean, I have some special qualities, but I think we all do, and it's about really harnessing those and and harnessing courage and having having support around us, or or the uh, or the disposition to push against it when people say you can't do something.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate you pushing back there actually, because I think it's an important point, isn't it? That I, I suppose how I'm hearing it is, without taking anything at all away from your story, that being an extraordinary person is almost um, a consequence of just getting in there and doing stuff.
1: <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. So
0: you, we all start off ordinary enough, and then we start acting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why I so love teenagers. Like my favorite age is fifteen, mm. uh, because that they're pushing back mm. at all the things that people say they can't do. And I always wanted to say, "You think you're an artist? Let's find out what your medium is."
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Or um, you want to play music and you've never had a lesson? Let's figure that one out. Yeah, yeah. Like let you know, but the kids that lived with me or have uh, tattoos and spacers and piercings and they're they're not uh, (laughs) they're the camden people they're not the uh (laughs) the the, you know the people in the in the high-rise buildings but they're they're people who really have something to offer yeah
0: yeah yeah absolutely i mean that that again feels really connected to the other things you've said that you know my sense in a lot of the stuff that i'm up to in conversations i'm having is that we unfortunately have uh, a world that's full of boxes to find ourselves in um and uh, yeah i think even aside from what we're specifically talking about in this moment i think in your story of what you're doing in the world of law that 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 also feels very much like helping people out of the box of you now need to litigate you yeah. now adversaries you know whatever I, I mean this idea of just helping humans to be human feels like it sort of um is a through line or am i imagining that into what you
1: know no i i um it is a, i think it's a through line it's the, the lawyers i work with um are people who've been pushed into a box that you know in law school we're taught uh, or it's in the water that uh, you are not successful unless you get a job in wall street or the magic circle, or, you know, some big high rise building mm-hmm. doing mergers and acquisitions. That's what success equals. If you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so many people actually go to law school to help people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, and the, the, those helping people jobs, the, the high touch jobs are looked down upon. Yeah. And so we're kind of, Um, discouraged from doing that and you know I guess I have a lot of mother energy and I give people permission to be who they want to be versus who they're expected to be and then they go off and they do marvelous things
0: yeah 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 well I mean that in itself is awesome as well never mind everything you've done to change the legal system <laughs> just even <laughs> as even as a mother for 16 children I mean come on <laughs> yeah I, I, I mean almost every point of the story um, I have to say I was hanging my head thinking I only had two kids I almost set up <laughs> network. I've only written a few blogs, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so,
1: I'm not in fantastic. competition with you either, Andy. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I know. I know. I, I
0: need to. Um, I need to just put that down and, and get on with doing stuff. <laughs> so,
1: so one of the things I work with my clients on is actually that, mm. and, and um, that you're not in competition with anyone but you. Mm. You have created your purpose and the thing the things that you're about in the world and that's the measure
0: yeah
1: so my purpose is the transformation of the legal profession and and I am a terrible failure at that because it's not done yet <laughs> uh, but I'm you know I'm still here I'm still moving I didn't want to point that out Kim I mean I'm very <laughs> disappointed in <aren't> you <laughs> but you know there are other people that have um have a purpose that means just as much to them yeah. That is not as, you know, grandiose, but is just as important. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I have, I have a, a friend who has adopted an autistic teenager who's now a young man, and, and she gets great joy from that. That would not have been, my, I mean, like, so grateful that there are people who have that as their purpose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not, not mine at all. And a friend of mine has a therapeutic horse uh, writing center where she works with handicapped kids. Again, she's like fully living her purpose and, uh, and providing a service that would not be mine yeah. to do. Yeah. And so, so I, like I, I am really looking for like, how do we measure our intrinsic values versus on some external measure of you know, like, this is what society says we should do.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In actual fact, what, what it brings to mind for me, that is um, exactly one of the the sort of
1: reasons for
0: founding this podcast and this sort of community of Next Age Radicals. It was the idea that, you know, there's a bunch of cool people doing cool things and there's a million ways to be cool. So um, <laughs> I, so on the previous sort of podcasts, I, I you know, I, I guess what strikes me is, not one of those people is doing the same thing as the next and yet there is a through line in all of them for certain in terms of people kind of almost going back to first principles of what it is to be them and really connecting to that and uh, and then acting from there so yeah
1: yeah yeah so even when I'm working with somebody who's in a divorce situation I ask them questions about yeah like who they really are And and like, you know, like, what are the dreams they gave up? And, you know, where, you know, like, like, what's possible now? And uh, so uh, my clients loved to work with me. Like, you know, it wasn't an accident that I had a successful practice, because what I was doing with people uh, was really transformational work. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so then they would you know, go off on their own. I mean, I did the vision and values kind of work with them, which is how I got to do conscious contracts, which is about, you know, creating that and then saying, how are we going to work together? Yeah. And so that's the, for me, that's, the, that's part of the juice as well. How do, how do we be that best self that we want to be? And how do we engage with others who are wanting to do that same thing? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, measuring from our own hearts or values or you know whatever you want to say for me it's a somatic experience of Mm -hmm. i know i'm when i'm online and when i'm not Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so I, i i'm feeling compelled to ask because i know that people that listen to this podcast sometimes ask me sort of this question is um you know there's all these cool people doing all these cool things like you um and it's not easy at times, like you've acknowledged. You know, we all end up being that sort of puddle on the floor, if you like, at times. Um, but but for folk that have stuck at it and and kind of gone the distance with it, like you, I, I think we've we've all developed strategies for how to keep ourselves energized and how to pick ourselves up and so on. So so that's a question i'm often asked is you know how do you just sort of sustain yourself through this so what's your answer to that kim you've, you've touched on some of it i think but...
1: so i i actually have my vision and purpose operating principles mission values on a piece of paper and i remind myself of who i am and if anything doesn't fit i i edit constantly mm-hmm. um so that that's one thing so it's a truing up process. Mm-hmm. And then I surround myself with really cool people. And, uh, and so at, like it's sort of the, the gift that my work is, is that I was on the phone with a judge the other day, um, somebody I haven't seen in more than 10 years, almost 15 years, but when the last time we talked, we had a really nice connection and we've kind of been on social media together. I called her up because we're going to be on a panel together. And at the end of the call, she said, I love you. And I, I, it's like, like, that's magical. Like, like this is a judge on the bench. This is not, you know, like, you know, somebody who's had something, you know, life event or something like that. She's, uh, you know who's able to say that and I'm thinking that's that's the world I'm creating that's the world that I'm part of and you know it's a small thing oh,
0: but, but that, it's also that's, a... that's rocket fuel isn't it that will sustain you for a while I'm sure that is, yeah. that's
1: gonna last me for a while yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah. and and so and I have like so many people in my life like that um, that are just doing the coolest things, you know, like, I, I'm a organizational development nerd. So you know, a lot of people who are doing transformation in organizations, because my organization is the entire legal profession. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I like to have tools. And so, so the people who, uh, you know, who, who work with other people uh, uh, as sort of resources, and then my own organization, the legal profession of people who are just doing just the most amazing things mm. and I get to tell their stories mm. and I get to connect them with each other.
0: Yeah that that all makes an awful lot of sense to me um, and I, I'm confident that um, anyone listening is going to take a lot of wisdom and, and inspiration from that too so so maybe it feels a shame to be sort of drawing us towards a close but I think probably at that sort of time so so you've given some great advice there but I I wonder if I can sort of ask you my my sort of closing ish question which is from all of your experiences and all of your um insights and wisdom there what's the one thing that you would share with people that you you know if they only had one thing that you could plant in your in their brains what would it be
1: I would say listen to the little voice that's telling you what you're here to do and do it to find the way to do that and uh and it won't it won't steer you wrong yeah
0: love it we'll have that that's that's good uh, so you were listening folks do it listen to the little voice and do it um Kim, I've, I've really um, thoroughly enjoyed this. So I said that was my last-ish question. So my last question is just how people that um, want to find out more can find out more. So I know we're gonna do uh, an online workshop. Um, I think we've got it in for 13th of April or thereabouts. Yeah. So there'll be details on the Next stage Radical site about that for those that want to find out more. But what else could people do? How else can they find out about you or, or your work?
1: I have sort of a central website that I don't keep updated as much as I should, but you can uh, learn some of this, details about some of this and lots of links from jkimwright.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn. I have, a, uh, I have one of those LinkedIn profiles that goes deep uh, so that you can learn more about me there. I even have photos in, uh, in some of the posts so you can actually see the progression of where I've been. and uh and then i I have about a dozen other websites so i'll uh i'll give you some information andy that you can put uh so that people can look up some of the things that i've mentioned that might uh interest them
0: yeah perfect perfect so i'll put all of that in the links below the podcasts um for anyone looking for them um kim that's been amazing normally at this stage i would say thank you uh, but I feel compelled today instead to say, despite your epic failure, because you've not transformed at all yet, uh, I love you. Thank you. I, so, you uh, I really appreciate you taking the time there, and I can't, I can't wait to catch up about other things and um, and keep our conversations going. Uh, for now, though, I think that's been it for this session. Um, looking forward to our workshop that we'll do in April. Um, And thanks for that.
1: Thank you very much for letting me talk. It's
0: been a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts and reflections. So please tweet me at nextradicals or get in touch at nextstageradicals.net. There you'll also find hundreds of posts and podcasts, sketch notes and stories, reports and resources which Next Stage Radicals like you have shared as they explore what it takes to make work,
1: work better. <music>